0: And let's hope things are working. Aha, there we are. So, Uh, So I'm going to be going through primarily today Matthew chapter 6. If you want a copy of the Bible, I'll make Joshua grab you one. Uh, New Living Translation, Matthew 6. It's around like page 581, and uh, that's our primary text. And I'm going to be comparing that to Psalm 37, which you see kind of on the left and the right, and throw in the middle a little bit of Jeremiah. Uh, And I'm going to do as best as I can. Sometimes I get more nervous like this because I actually have zero notes that I can go off of. So I'm Winging it, and then I'm also writing, so my hand will be shaky, but that's okay. We'll we'll figure it out. Let's see. So let's start uh, with Matthew chapter six, and this is uh, Jesus talking. Here we go. Ooh, I've got it working. All right, I got my squiggles. All right, you guys are pumped. I'm pumped. Here we go. So uh, if today's sermon had a title, it would be uh, "Don't worry, be godly." All right, don't worry, be godly. And so here we go. Matthew six verse. 25. He says, that is why, uh, so first of all, I want to point out, Jesus is continuing a thought. We'll look at some of those thoughts later on in this series. Uh, You can read earlier in this for yourself. Uh, You're not exclusively uh, restricted to Bible reading only on Sunday. Uh, You could read this during the week. I'd recommend it. Uh, But he says, that is why I tell you, and that's Jesus talking, uh, do not worry about your everyday life. So, Uh, So not to worry about everyday life. So this is a command from Jesus not to worry. And you'd think like, how can he command me to change the way I feel? Like that's, I don't understand how that works, that's weird. How can you command me not to worry? And he gives some reasons uh, because he realizes kind of worry is this battle that we have with our thoughts and he gives us reasons why we shouldn't worry okay? He says, so don't worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink, enough clothes to wear. And then he says, isn't life more than, and I love this, he's speaking kind of uh, inequality speak, right? More than, life is more than food uh, and your body more than clothing, right? So kind of he's speaking in these comparatives. We saw some of these comparisons back when we were studying Proverbs last year. And just, I, I love it when the Bible just says, hey, like, in terms of what is greater, this thing is more valuable than that thing. And then it just, that allows me in my flow chart of life to figure out, okay, when I have to choose, right? Okay, this is what I'm choosing. And so, so Jesus is saying, okay, first of all, don't worry about these things because life is more than those things. And then he says this, here's, here's an interesting command. The Bible does not exclusively tell us to get all of our knowledge solely from the scriptures. I don't know if you guys realize this, Jesus is saying, look at the birds, all right? So he says, like, look at the way God's created the world around you, and you can then determine some patterns and some things about God's character. In fact, in Romans chapter one, uh, Paul claims that God's invisible attributes are seen within the things that he's created. All right, So we can determine, we can discern some of God's character through the world we happen to be living in. So he says, look at the birds, and what does he claim about them? These birds, they, they don't plant or harvest, they don't store food in barns, and he says, because your heavenly Father feeds them, right? That God has taken responsibility for caring for the birds, all right, that God is actively serving and tending to his creation. And then he makes a comparison again. He says, aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? So once again, a comparison. So God takes care of the birds. I am more valuable to him than they are. Therefore, God is going to take care of me. And, and so this all is some of the reason why when he commands me not to worry, right, is that I'm more valuable to God than other aspects of his creation. So I don't need to worry and that my heavenly father feeds those birds, right? He's going to take care of me. And so, so we see that out of this comparison, right, that you are more valuable than they are, right? And then he says, he makes this interesting statement. This is actually kind of the whole sermon series pivots on this, this question that Jesus asked, right? Make life better. This was kind of the verse that I've been thinking about. This is the thing that I'm anchoring most of my sermons back to, uh, not specifically worry, but just this sort of question that Jesus asked. He says, can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Or in other translations, which of you by worrying, right, can add to your life? Or let me make it, say it this way, which of you can make your life better by worrying, right? And the answer is none of us, okay? None of us can make our lives better by worrying. And and that worry is not an additive thing to our life. Worry is something that will subtract from our lives. Okay? It is making our lives less effective. It is something that is distracting us from the life that God's given us. It is reducing the the preciousness of our life. It's right taking away from the good things that God has given us in this life. That worry does not add, it in fact subtracts. And I'll, I'll make that claim a little bit more stronger later. And so so when I ask this question, right, right, the series is make life better. And now Jesus is giving us some indication as to this will not make your life better. So when you're choosing the things, right, for 2017 that are going to make life better, worry is not one of those things that you should add to that list, all right? Worry is something that you want to remove from your life, and the way you remove it is by by trusting in Jesus, right? And then he says, right, and why worry about your clothing? Now he's making a different comparison. He says, once again, look at, actually, yeah, I've, So there's another command, look at uh, the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't, they don't, right, these lilies make, uh, they don't work or make their clothing and yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God, once again, here's this comparison, God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. All right, so once again, he makes this comparison, right? If God cares for the birds, if God cares for the wildflowers in this way, and you are more valuable than they are, he will certainly care for you for you. And these are some of the reasons why we do not have to worry, right? That, that God cares so wonderfully uh, for us, right? He cares for us. He's our heavenly Father, all right? That, that one of the reasons we don't have to worry is that we don't have a God who who uh, simply knows what we need and doesn't care for us, or He doesn't just care what we, you know, care about us and not know what we need, he, he does both of these things, and He's a Father who cares for us, right? He's a good Father who cares for us. And then Jesus asks this question, right, uh, which is interesting, why do you have so little faith? And it's an interesting question that the only uh, things that astonished or amazed Jesus in his earthly ministry on the earth that we see documented in the Scriptures is when someone has little faith, and he's just kind of like, I I don't understand, like, hasn't God proven himself to you? Hasn't he demonstrated his love to you? And he's kind of almost perplexed when we don't have faith. And then the other times he's astonished is when someone demonstrates great faith in trusting God. And so Jesus asks the question, why do you have so little faith? faith. And faith, I just want to point out, uh, means trusting God, all right? Trusting God. It's not simply just uh, belief or belief in God. It's believing what God says. It's believing in his character. Uh, and, th- and that's what we see. And now Jesus makes a- another uh, repeti- uh, repetition of his command. Don't worry, right, about these things, saying, what will we eat uh, what will we drink, what will we wear, these things, notice, dominate. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, all right? This is, this is not a, a good thing to be spending our time uh, putting all of our effort and emphasis on. This is, this is slavery. This is something that, like I said, is subtracting from the valuable good life that God has given us, Right? It's something that is, is dominating our thought life when we're so worried about what is coming next, what bill is coming up, right? Whatever we're facing and we don't know what's going to happen next. Our, our trust is not in our own certainty of the future. Our trust is found in the character of our heavenly Father. And so, right, he says, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. So, once again, we have a God who is our heavenly Father he knows our needs and He cares for us, right? If He just knew our need and didn't care for us, He'd be like, well, that's your problem, right? Like that, that wouldn't be that encouraging. I would still be worried, uh, right? I, I imagine you would as well. Or, or if, he, uh, if He cared for us but didn't know what I needed, uh, I'd be kind of like, "Hello, God, hello, hello uh, down here. Like, I don't know if you noticed this yet. I've got a problem, uh, right? That's what we would, we'd be dealing with. But we have a heavenly Father who knows what we need and He cares for us. And then Jesus makes this command. He says, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Or other translations, seek first the kingdom of God, right? And live righteously, right? Live righteously. Don't worry, be godly. And he will give you, that is God will give you everything you need. The things, right, that you need are are those things, right, our food, our clothing, our shelter, whatever those things happen to be, that God will meet those needs, but those needs are met not when we are dominated in pursuing uh, what those things are, but when we seek first God's kingdom and His righteousness, when we seek first the kingdom of God and, and live righteously, when we live our lives the way that God has designed it, our lives are better off when we live that way. And, uh, and I want to point out what's interesting here is, is the Bible doesn't claim that uh, God will meet everybody's needs. It doesn't actually say that. It, it's, he says he will meet the needs of those who are seeking first the kingdom, right? And I know that like, that's like a little bit of an uns- unsettling thought. And, and God does have a uh, general benevolent grace that he gives towards all people, right? It, uh, Paul made this argument, I believe it's in Acts 17, uh, to a, a populace of of heathens, right, people who didn't know the, the Jehovah God, the God of Israel. And he says, listen, like, this same God has shown you his kindness when he's sent rain in the due time and sent you harvest. Like, these were all aspects of God's goodness towards you, and he's been faithful, right, through and through, and he's been trying to lure you to himself, draw you to himself into relationship with himself. And so so the way we don't worry is when we seek first God's kingdom. The way we don't let our thoughts uh, get dominated by all of these concerns is when we let our thoughts be focused on building God's kingdom And not our own. And then God, the good Father who cares for us and knows our needs, will give us the things that we need. And so he says once again, third time, don't worry, in this case, about tomorrow. And then Jesus, like, I feel like you you don't give me like a great reason not to worry about tomorrow, because he says, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. All right? Today's trouble is enough for today. I'm like, oh, wait a minute, so tomorrow might actually get harder? Like, Jesus, that wasn't the most comforting thing you could have told me there, right? Like, uh, like, the, like I like the idea of, you know, this, this good father who's gonna take care of my needs, and now you're saying, like, no, you don't wanna worry about tomorrow, you can't handle that right now. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, Jesus, wait, what? what? What do you know about tomorrow? And uh, that's a little bit scary, but the point is that the God who knows our future, because we don't, uh, is the God who loves us, right? And we can trust him based on his consistent character in the past, right? That all of his promises are yes and amen. And, and we can trust him with our future, all right? We don't have to worry about those things. And, and Jesus isn't uh, just like some hippie saying like, live this carefree life, that you don't have to worry about anything, just chill out. Uh, that's not what he's saying. He's not saying that your life is actually even going to be perfect. Because we saw uh, a couple of weeks ago that there will be persecution in our lives, right? There will be times when we suffer when, right? I mean, Jesus who's saying this was the one who was murdered as an innocent man, right? He was beaten and killed and suffered in agony and, and he didn't do anything wrong. He was seeking first the kingdom of God, all right? But, but Jesus is also the one that says, right, in this world, you will have trouble but be of good cheer that he has overcome the world, all right? So, the, the life that, that he's talking about, the, the sustenance that God gives us, the provision that God supplies is one where God provides for our needs to accomplish the plan that God has for our lives, even though there might at times be, be suffering or difficulty or struggle, all right? Because this life is, is not heaven, all right? We don't want to look at our, our world around us and assume that well, God, like, isn't this supposed to be perfect? And, and it was at one point perfect, but our sin broke it, right? Our sin has resulted in this world being a fallen place where there is, unfortunately, suffering, right? There's difficulty. Because of my sin, bad things happen in my life. Because of other people's sin, bad, thing hap- bad things happen in my, in my life. And, and just because of the sinfulness of the world, right? Sometimes it's, it's not a particular person's fault that I could blame but it's just that this world is not the place where we're, we're making our home, right? Our home is in heaven. And so Jesus, a few times, like I said, ends up making these claims, right? Do not worry, uh, don't worry, and don't worry. And he commands these, and the basis of that argument is on our heavenly Father, right? Our heavenly Father. It's, it's not even uh, our own perfection in seeking the kingdom, all right, because you and I we all fail at some point during our pursuit of godliness, right during our pursuit of of living god 's way, but but we serve the God who forgives the imperfect, right we, we serve the God who gave his perfect life to save those of us who were at that time his enemies so so it 's god 's character that gives us us confidence so let's uh, let 's take a look at uh, psalm thirty seven This is David. Uh, writing this. David was the father of Solomon. Uh, you see actually almost during parts of this uh, a little bit of almost proverb-ish type statements because uh, Solomon, his son, wrote proverbs and collected those proverbs. And, and so, this is from, from David. The previous text was written by Jesus. This is written uh, hundreds of years before Jesus, okay? And uh, so, so, David makes this claim, and you're going to see a lot of symmetry between these passages. And, he's, and so, he makes this claim. He says, don't worry, about the wicked. Uh, don't envy those who do wrong. And he introduces uh, kind of another character, right? Those who do wrong, those who, who are wicked. And like I just said, all of us fail at some point uh, during our pursuit of God's kingdom. And then he, he uh, kind of makes this interesting thing. For like grass, they soon fade away. All right, he says that there will be times when someone is disconnected from God, when the grass has been cut and it still is green, but eventually it will wither. All right, eventually it fades away. And he says like spring flowers, they soon uh, will wither. Now, what's interesting here is uh, recall that over here, right? uh, Solomon dressed in all of his glory was not uh, arrayed as beautifully as these. And if God clothes them, uh, the wildflowers, this is actually interesting, uh, that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, you actually see an interesting kind of parallel concept where Jesus was encouraging us, saying, hey, God cares for us more than these wildflowers. But when we are doing our own thing, when we are working against God's interest, when we are doing wrong, when we are being uh, wicked, that unfortunately God's care for us might be different than those who are seeking first his kingdom. All right? So, not, not the most uh, worry-free or encouraging text. Uh, so, then he makes this other command, okay? Uh, trust in the Lord and do good. All right? Once again, don't worry. Be godly, right? If, if God is our heavenly Father then, and we are His children, then we should eventually be taking on the characteristics of our Father, right? There's genetic similarities, so to speak. And when he's, when we were born again in Jesus, trusting Jesus for salvation, that we began to become more and more like our Father. And he says, then you will live safely in the land and prosper. So, this is language kind of very uh, much Kingdom of Israel language from the Old Testament, uh, right? Them being able to succeed in the land. And then I love this, take delight in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. And uh, what is so cool here is that, right, Jesus said that the greatest command were not these uh, moral commands, all right? These weren't the, the do right, don't do wrong commands. He said the greatest command was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? Like, the, just building up your affections for God, right? Like letting your life be one in pursuit of God. I could even claim that uh, this is somewhat, right, the, the seek first the kingdom, right? Seek first God's kingdom. And, and actually, even more specifically than that, seek first God, right? Just fall in love with who God is, all right? That, that when we fall in love with the Lord, He then gives us the desires of our heart, right? That very much goes back to Jesus' language, seek first the kingdom of… Li- live right, right? And, and all of those things will be added to you. Very much the same… actually, just to right, make that connection here. Here we go, right? What did he say? Seek first the kingdom of God, live righteously, and, and, and all of these things will be added to you. He'll give you everything that you need. And then he says, once again, commit… so notice these, these commands. The Bible does give us commands. Commit everything you do, To the Lord. Trust Him. All right? This passage does say trust quite a few times, and He will help you. He is actively working on your behalf. He is the one who is going to help you, He is the one who is caring for you. He is the Heavenly Father who, right, He will, as we'll see, take delight in all of the details of your life. And check this out He will make your innocence radiate like the dawn. He is the one who makes us righteous. All right, we aren't good enough on our own to save ourselves, right? And, and kind of seeing these comparisons in the Old Testament of like, you know, those who do right and those who are, are wicked, we like to, you know, just kind of in our human categories of, oh yeah, I know who those are, and, you know. But the point is that Jesus is the only one who can make us innocent, all right? That, that in Christ, we are the righteousness of God. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, all right, and he says, and the justice of your cause will shine like the new day, noonday sun. And then here's a great command, uh, be still in the presence of the Lord, right, in God's presence, right, that, that is so contrary to what worry is all right? This is so contrary to worry, this idea of just being still, being content, being satisfied in the moment that we find ourselves in, even when life gets hard, just knowing that in God's presence I am safe, that I can trust Him with my future, right, that I can just be still. My mind isn't frantically running trying to think of, well, God, how am I going to get out of this problem? What am I going to do? What's happening next? How am I going to solve this? What happens if I lose this or that doesn't pan out, right? Just be still in the presence of the Lord. That definitely kind of links back to this this idea of just delighting, right, in in God. Just delight in God and wait. This is, once again, the opposite. Uh, Wait patiently for Him to act, right? He is the one that's going to provide for our needs. He is the one that's going to take care of us. And waiting patiently, once again, I would suggest, is the the opposite of worry. Uh, And then, once again, don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their, their wicked schemes. Uh, so I wanna point out, just like David said, they're they are like cut grass. There will be times when those who do wrong appear to succeed. There will be times that those who do wrong appear to succeed because of their wrongdoing. All right, like that it's like, man, they got away with that. Like they just lied on this and now they got the promotion or whatever, they took credit for that or right? Whatever it is, it looks like they succeed for the moment, but the Bible, what, one of the things I love about it is it just takes this long view. It presents generations and the consequences of the decisions of generations, right? It, it looks at someone's entire lifespan, and you can compare yours and be like, man, right now in this moment, I feel frantic. I feel like I have to do this, or I want to… maybe if I just, you know, fudge the truth just a little bit, I could get away with this, and, and my life will be better, but… but the Bible says, no, no, that's not what makes your life better, and it might even look better for a moment, but in fact, it is not better, right? These, these evil people appear to prosper, but they are not, right? And he says, don't fret, don't fret about their wicked schemes. All right, here's some other commands, some bonus for us, uh, in case this is you, stop being angry, right? Turn from your rage, do not lose your temper. And then he gives reason for that, just like Jesus was giving us reason not to worry. He says it only leads to harm, that all of these things, right, the reason you shouldn't is that it's not adding to your life. It is, in fact, subtracting from your life. It is not making your life better when you just succumb to right? All of this anger. And it appears as though this, this anger he, he's talking about might even be related to the fact that, that, God, it looks like that person got away with it, and that makes me so upset. And he's like, hey, like, it's not, it's not going to help you. Yeah, care for matters of justice, right? Uh, right? God will eventually let justice reign. Everything will be made right. It might not happen in this life, unfortunately, but this world will once again be brought fully subject to his reign, but he's saying, like, listen, like, don't worry and, and don't succumb to anger. And now, now this is uh, where it's going to get a little bit heavy here, friends. Uh, he says, for the wicked will be destroyed. Whew, yikes. All right. Uh, Soon the wicked will disappear. Though you look for them, they will be gone. All right. So we kind of see that the, the future for those who are doing their own thing, uh, is not a positive future. But those who trust in the Lord will possess the land, right? The lowly will possess the land and will live in peace and prosperity. So this is kind of going back to that idea of meekness that we looked at a few weeks ago, all right? Or humble, right? Those who are humble, those who aren't trying to force their own way. And then he says this, that the wicked, even though they would plot against the godly, they snarl at them in defiance, And this is, this is interesting. Uh, The Lord just laughs for he sees their day. This there is uh, the wicked, their day of judgment coming. Yeah, like I said, a little bit heavy. Uh, So the Lord, right, he, he laughs. Their plots are not going to succeed. He sees, he is aware that their day of judgment is coming. And, and this is not just like uh, some form of karma, all right? This is God actively bringing justice all right, that those who have done wrong, those who have uh, brought about uh, terrible things, as we'll see in a moment, kill the poor, slaughter those who do right, uh, that they won't get away with it forever, all right, that God will bring justice. God will make it right, and, uh, and that their future is one that, uh, might I say, should be worried about, right? Like, Jesus, this is one of the, one of the points for my sermon here, is that, that Jesus, when he says, do not worry, he's speaking to those who are seeking his kingdom. But when it comes to those who are not seeking first the kingdom of God, they might not be worried enough, okay? That, that the Bible, uh, sometimes the text, it will instill hope to some of us, and then other times it carries a warning, right? Even just like the idea of, of this warning about my anger or something like that, uh, right? For some of us, it might be like, okay, hey, I got over my anger thing. Is that my phone? No. All right. That's someone else's. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> right? If, if, if I read this verse and I'm like, hey, I like really have been attacking this anger in my life, this is going to be an encouraging verse. But if I let anger just run away with, with everything, uh, this is a verse that would be a warning to me and a warning out of love. All right, so, so the, the Bible can at times be encouraging to some and a warning to others. So, so check out, uh, it says the wicked, right, draw their swords and string their bows to kill the poor and the oppressed, to slaughter those who do right, right? Those who are seeking first God's kingdom, it appears as though they're going to be victims here, but their swords will stab their own hearts, right? Once again, this is the wicked, and their bows will be broken, Right? So, we see that the, the future that the wicked has planned for themselves and others is one that God isn't going to allow to remain. And then David makes this observation. All right? So, here's an observation. He says, it is better, right? It's greater to do this, to be godly and have little than to be evil and be rich. Right? So, he says, so here's in terms of… Oh, Let's see, wrong color. Man, I had my color scheme all here, right? To be evil and be rich, right? We've got, uh, if you are choosing, right? Pursue godliness over wealth, right? Just like what Jesus was saying, right? Over wealth, over money, over being rich, right? Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, and then he'll take care of the rest. Don't mix it up. And when you're choosing this for your life, right, like this is like a very uh, Proverbs-type statement, okay, so I'd rather make decisions that that are godly choices even though I could uh, kind of ignore the godly issue for a moment if it would somehow bring uh, financial gain to me or whatever it might be, right, that choose godliness over wealth. And he says, for the strength of the wicked will be shattered, but the Lord takes care of the godly. Right? Even if someone gets rich by doing wrong, their plan will not thrive. They will wither. It's not going to pan out, but I'd much rather choose to do the right thing, even when integrity, because it usually always costs us something, because then we know that God has our back. God is at work in our lives for our good and His glory, and we don't need to be afraid. Like When you choose the right thing, you don't have to be fearful of your future. You know that God is at work in your future and he has a positive, right, mindset towards you. It says, day by day, the Lord takes care of the innocent and they will receive an inheritance that lasts forever. They will not be disgraced in hard times. Even in famine, they will have more than enough. And so notice this, the way that God does this, right, is is he does this day by day. Right? Just like Jesus said, hey, don't worry about tomorrow, the issue is we don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. And God often doesn't tell us what tomorrow's going to bring. We might not know how God's going to provide for tomorrow or how He's going to work things out for tomorrow, but the way that God works in our lives is day by day. All right, so our confidence isn't in knowing what tomorrow has. Our confidence is in knowing God's character and what he's promised to do, right? That God takes care of the godly. And, right, we aren't going to be disgraced. They will not be disgraced in hard times, right? Even in famine, they will have more than enough. So, so we've seen uh, kind of these trends here uh, where Jesus said, right, seek the kingdom of God and God will take care of your needs. But that promise is not to everyone, right? That, that it seems as though the future for those who do wrong is significantly different than the future of those who are seeking to build God's kingdom, all right? And, and maybe it's uh, been somewhat implied here, but I'm going to make it uh, a much stronger claim with this passage from Jeremiah that it would actually be wrong for me to just kind of blanket statement, tell everybody, hey, don't worry, just chill out, be cool, life is going to be fine, because it's, it's a different outcome for uh, the different choices we make. Uh, So, it says this. uh, This is Jeremiah prophesying. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says to his people. So, this is God's command. He says, do not listen to these prophets, all right, these prophets when they prophesy to you, filling you with futile hopes. All right, like if I just came out with a sermon and then like, you know, tell the whole world just, and nobody needs to worry, it's gonna be fine, your future is great, like that might not be the case, okay? Uh, That Jesus' command, do not worry, was not a command to everybody. He said, in terms of these prophets, they, right, are making up everything they say, they do not speak for the Lord, right? So God is not the one telling them these things and God is actively telling them, don't listen because they're they're not telling you the things that I'm telling them. They're ignoring me, in fact. Uh, And this is really, uh, really clear. They keep saying to those who despise my word, right? So, in terms of of wicked or godly, okay, uh, those who despise his word. At times, I know, like, we'd rather do things our own way. When we read the Bible, we're kind of like, oh, man, like, I kind of don't want to do that or that's restricting kind of the things that I'd like for my life or whatever that might be. But we need to eventually fall in love with God's word. And uh, so they keep saying to those who despise his word, don't worry, the Lord says you will have peace. And what's that? That is a, a false hope, uh, a, a false future, right? That these, those who despise God's word might have a lot of confidence about their future but it, in fact, is not a a great future, okay? Uh, And they say to those who stubbornly follow their own desires, they say, no harm will come your way, right? So, just complete false hope uh, when, in fact, God is saying, don't listen to these false promises. You perhaps need to take this warning. Uh, You should be worried, is kind of what God is saying to the people who would right, despise his word and stubbornly follow his own, their own desires. Have any of these prophets been in the Lord's presence to hear what he is really saying? Has even one of them cared enough to listen? And so once again, we kind of see the idea of what the prophets are hearing. They're just making it up. They're not hearing from God, but they should have been spending time In the presence of the Lord and let's see I think that's one of the things that we saw up here is the idea of right the presence of the Lord be still in the presence of the Lord our confidence isn't coming from our making our own lives right our confidence is going to come from being in the Lord's presence and recognizing his character all right, so there's this, this sermon, what the Bible has to say to our hearts is very different for two different audiences, right? And, and all of us kind of at different times, like we can go through seasons where we're not super excited about what the Bible might say about something. And it's good to be honest with God about that. You don't wanna just like lie to him about that. Uh, but I wanna point out that, uh, like it says in Galatians 6, that we will reap what we sow, okay? If we sow to the Spirit, we will reap a good harvest, but if we sow to our flesh what our own desires are, right, we will end up receiving a harvest that we don't want, okay? That, that the way that God talks about the decisions we have in our lives, it's like planting seeds towards our future, and at times when we make choices that we're all about our own desires and not what God's word would say, right, those are the times when it's like, God, like, I really messed up, Like, I really hope that those seeds that I planted are not going to have a harvest in my life. Is it like, forgive me, Lord, is there any way I can avoid some of those consequences? And at times, although we will surely experience God's forgiveness, we not always can avoid those consequences, right? We we talked about that when we were studying through Proverbs, that like, you can uh, be a child of God and still make foolish choices and sometimes experience the consequences of those foolish choices. Right? Or, or think about the, the thief on the cross, this, this guy who was a, uh, an Israelite rebel against the Roman Empire. He did wrong. He uh, right, was a thief, and, and he's dying there next to Jesus. He calls out to Jesus saying, remember me when you come into your kingdom, right? And Jesus is like, yeah, surely you'll be with me in paradise. But that guy still died on the cross, right? The guy still experienced the consequences of his life choices, even though he became a, a believer in Jesus right? And, and he actually even recognized that before he trusted in Jesus when the other thief was mocking Jesus. And actually, he was in, included in that mocking for a moment. But he, he said, right, this guy was innocent and doesn't deserve any of this, but we deserve what we're getting, right? We earned our fate, right? And, and so, I just want to point out, like, when we reap what we sow, uh, or when we are sowing, perhaps, right… Maybe, like, start making better decisions immediately and, and pray for God's grace on your life, all right? God, like I said, will forgive you, right? You can go boldly before his throne of grace, but just recognize, like, all right, God, like, I, I really hope I don't have to reap the consequences of some of my choices, right? Is there any way that can be avoided? And sometimes his grace covers it, and other times that's, unfortunately, uh, we, we end up experiencing consequences for our choices. So I'm going to pick up for the the rest of uh, Psalm 37 over here, and uh, David's going to speak a little bit more specifically uh, about the wicked here for a moment. He says, but the wicked will die. The Lord's enemies are once again like flowers in a field. They will disappear like smoke. Uh, So once again, kind of tying back to, right, thrown into the fire. Uh, The thing that gave us confidence when Jesus was speaking uh, is now something that doesn't give uh, those who are wicked, a lot of consequence, right? Or, or confidence, I mean, right? And, and here's another observation that David makes about the wicked. So, here's a David observation. He says, the wicked borrow and never repay, but the, the godly are generous givers. So, here's a contrast that he notices. The wicked borrow and never repay, the godly are generous givers. You would think that you would have thought that borrowing and not repaying would have added to your life, right? And you would have thought that uh, giving away is a way to subtract from that, that which blesses your life. But in fact, it's the opposite, that the way God's kingdom works is the opposite of that, that this, in fact, does not subtract. Being generous is a way that we receive God's blessing, right? Those the Lord blesses will possess the land. Those the Lord blesses, that God is actively working in our favor even when we do something that seems to be a loss, right? When we give, when we're generous, it feels like a loss, but we're actually gaining. And then if you do something that, right, like stealing, it seems like you're gaining, but you're actually falling further behind. And man, uh, it says that he cursed, uh, those who he curses will die. Yikes. Yikes. Uh, so, but here we go. Here's, here's the confidence part for us. The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. All right. The peace that we have about our future, even when there might be difficulty in that future, is knowing that God is directing all of our steps and that God is not just like, well, in general, like, uh, yeah, I kind of, I see your life from afar. I see kind of how things are going, but uh, I'm just going to ignore the details. No, 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 like God delights in every detail of our lives right? As a good and caring father, he is, he is all about every detail of our lives. There's not something that somehow slipped, uh, right? His, his awareness, right? He wasn't like not paying attention for a while, and then a lot of injustice comes upon you. Like, no, he is aware of everything that you go through, okay? Uh, and, and as a result, we can have confidence. We don't need to worry because he is that, that good father, Right? Jesus is the one that kind of implements that, that father, Heavenly Father language. But I want to point out, like, this is exactly what God is doing. Though they stumble, they will never fail. The Lord holds them by the hand. Right? Like, God is the, just this amazing Father who's aware of every detail of our lives. Even though we live lives on this earth that end in, in death, okay? It says in, I believe it's Psalms, that precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His servant. Like, even in a moment where it seems as though all is lost, that God is in that moment and He's aware of everything, okay? That God is still working for our good, that we don't measure the goodness or the betterness of our lives based on maybe even the length of our life or what we go through or the suffering that we might endure, right? The the way we measure a better life is what is it going to look like for eternity, right? What is it going to look like for eternity? And so here we've got another observation from David. He says, once I was young and now I am old, yet I, so this is David, have never seen the godly abandoned or their children begging for bread, right? So just a general observation from David in terms of he's like, he's like, I'm kind of seeing like God working this out. And based on, you know, kind of some of my metrics, which are imperfect, this is what I'm, I'm generally seeing. He says, and right, the godly always give generous loans to other, others and their children are a blessing. Okay, so that's what, what he ends up claiming. And then he says, turn, so once again, here's a command, turn from evil and do good. And you will live in the land forever. All right? So, don't worry. Be godly. And, and perhaps if, if we're ungodly, we might need to worry a little bit more, right, is, is the other issue, because uh, the Lord loves justice. He will never abandon the godly. He will keep them safe forever, but the children of the wicked will die, right? So, we see, like, this contrast of outcomes, and it's because God is just, all right? It's because God is just, right? That, uh, it says in Romans chapter 2 that the kindness of the Lord is meant to lead people to repentance, right? To turn from doing wrong and to come into relationship with God. But it's possible to presume upon God's kindness, it says in Romans 2, when in fact someone could actually be building up wrath for themselves for the day of judgment. All right, like, God is this loving and forgiving God, but we still need to turn from doing wrong, and we need to follow God, seek first His kingdom, delight in Him, and enter into relationship with God. All right, it's not like, yeah, God's loving and forgiving, He'll just forgive me later. No, 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 like, actually attain that forgiveness right now. Okay, like, you want to make sure you actually have that. And he says, "'The godly will possess the land and live there forever.'" The godly, here's another observation from David, uh, offer good counsel, all right? They teach right from wrong. And what's cool about this is so the godly offer good counsel and teach these things. And it's not their own version of right from wrong because they have made God's law their own and they will never slip from his path. So the thing that they teach that is right uh, is, is God's law. They've fallen in love with God's way of doing things, right? Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and live righteously, or, and, and, and his righteousness. Live your life God's way, right? Make God's law your own, and you will never slip from his path, right? All of those steps that the Lord is directing, right, all of those steps that the Lord is directing, you don't have to worry about, did I wreck God's plan for my life because I did wrong, right? Did I somehow miss out on these blessings that God had for me? You won't slip from his path, his plan for your life, when you make God's law your own, okay? When you just fall in love uh, with God and his law, and you just delight in him. Uh, It says, the wicked wait in ambush for the godly, looking for an excuse to kill them, but the Lord will not let the wicked succeed or let the godly be condemned when they are put on trial, All right, so we see that God, although He's actively working on behalf of those who delight in Him, He is also actively working against those who don't, all right? And and what's interesting in terms of like uh, being an enemy of God, it says in Romans that, that Christ died for us, that this is an example of God's love for us, that Christ died for us when we were His enemies, okay? So we serve a God who pursues lovingly His enemies and offers them forgiveness, that he received the due justice against them on himself so that they could be forgiven, all right? So, I I don't want us to just fall into this category of like, well, did I do right or did I do wrong? No, like the issue of doing right, of delighting in God is, is falling under his grace, okay? Because like I said, we aren't going to live completely perfect lives. We need to fall under his grace, and he will not allow the godly, right? The Lord will not let the godly be condemned, Alright? Here's a command. Put your hope in the Lord. Travel steadily along His path. He will honor you by giving you the land, and you will see the wicked destroyed. Right, not that that's something like you're craving necessarily, but you'll see that those who appear to be thriving right now, like we saw at the beginning of this psalm, right, those don't fret because of evildoers, do- It says in other uh, translations, right, because they they will appear to be flourishing for a moment, but they are like cut grass that will wither. You will see that it won't pan out for them, right. Sadly, that's what we will see, and that's what David says here as well. I have seen. So here's, right, David speaking, I have seen the wicked and ruthless people flourishing like a tree in its native soil, but when I looked again, they were gone. Though I searched for them, I could not find them. Right? He's seen this. When you live your life over a length of time, you start to recognize that, that the choices that people make start to kind of limit their future and their options all right? And and you don't want to fall into that category. And then here we have once again, right, look at the birds, look at the lilies. David says in this case, look at those who are honest and good for a wonderful future awaits those who love peace, all right? I can trust God with tomorrow, with confidence, all right? When I know, like, all right, like, God, I've, you know, I've turned from the things that I do wrong. I've asked for your forgiveness. I'm, I'm doing everything I can in this season to do right, and I don't have to be afraid of my future, right? Part of it is, is in God's grace, obviously, the goodness of him being a good father, right? But other, other parts is just like, okay, like, God, I think I'm listening to you as best as I can. Like, I'm trying to learn through this season I'm trying to do what I can and and like like in my life for instance I've been through a a season of unemployment and it's like okay like I'm looking for work I'm I'm not being lazy I'm I'm you know taking the extra time that I have and I'm volunteering and I don't have to be afraid for my future because I know that God is seeing all of this stuff and he'll reward me openly right I don't have to be afraid for my future even though I don't know how he's going to solve these problems Right? I don't know how I'm going to get out of right, this debt or whatever this might be. And I'm not sure, but if I'm doing the things that I'm supposed to, and because I know God's character, I know that I don't have to be afraid. I know that I don't have to worry. Okay? And, that, and then that's what he says, Right, uh, but the rebellious will be destroyed because they have no future. Right? Those who rebel against God, there isn't this, this uh, good... Outcome to their choices if they persist in them. Okay, that 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 they might be confident about their future. They might be bold and brazen, but like a fool from Proverbs, like we've seen, they can sometimes just headlong run to their own destruction. Right, and that's not what God would want for anyone. All right, uh, actually in terms of balancing that verse I just said uh, earlier that, that God delights in the death of his servant, it says in Ezekiel that God does not delight in the death of the wicked. God's not like just like pumped about the fact that people are gonna go to hell. Like God, God isn't like celebrating that, right? All of heaven rejoices when one sinner repents, Jesus said. But God is also not likewise like delighting over the fact that some people will receive this justice against them. All right, so, it's, it's, so don't imagine like God in that light. God is one who is desperately pursuing even his enemies and inviting them into forgiveness and into his family. All right, so that's, that's the heart of God. And it says this, right, that the Lord rescues the godly. He is their fortress in times of trouble. The Lord helps them, rescuing them from the wicked. He saves them and they find shelter in him. That the way you can avoid worry from subtracting from your life is when you find shelter in God, when you just delight in God, when you're still in his presence, right? And and you're making his law the things that are precious to you, all right? That's how you're going to find shelter. That's how you can avoid worry. That's how you can find confidence. And you don't have to be afraid, All right, we don't have to be afraid of what this year might bring, right? We don't have to be concerned with what our future has. And even though Jesus says, yeah, there is going to be trouble tomorrow and you probably can't handle it today, right? Like that's somewhat of a discouraging thought, but the future that, that God has for us is a good future, right? That God is holding our hand. He's directing our steps every step of the way. We don't have to be afraid because he is a good father. He is our heavenly father, right? He knows what we need. He cares wonderfully for his creation, right? And he will give you everything you need. But it's found in delighting in God and seeking first his kingdom. So church, let's pray real quick. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, Lord, that uh, you invite the ungodly into your family. That, Lord, even though we were once your enemies, you offer forgiveness. That, Lord, you seek to save the lost. And, Lord, we can get so distracted with our own desires, pursuing our own ways, even to our own harm. So, Lord, remind us this day of your goodness and kindness. Remind us of how much you love us and how you can be trusted. Remind us that you are the God who knows the end from the beginning and that we can trust you with tomorrow. Help us to overcome worry. Help us to trust in you. Help us to delight in you and just fall more in love with you each day. Lord, help us in the busyness of our lives to find moments just to be still in your presence and to hear what you would say to us. Lord, help us just to make wise decisions about our lives and to recognize the things that in fact do make our lives better and the things that would take away from the good life that you want us to have. And we ask that, Lord, you would be honored and glorified that we commit our works and our lives as unto you. And we look forward to not just spending eternity with you, God, but we want to spend our lives with you right now. And so we worship you in these next few songs, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.